starting a new series today. Road to Aram, uh, I'm going to say Aramaeus, and if I say it, it's Emmaus, all right? I've said it all week. I'm mad at myself already that I already said it. Road to Emmaus. Now, what's so cool about this series and why I think, I really hope, this series is going to be something for, for some of you in here. Um, it is going to be a really fun journey for the next eight weeks. I think it's going to be something that's going to bring uh, some new things uh, to light. I think it's going to open your eyes uh, so to some of the ways that the life of Christ really has maybe missed some marks or missed some understandings. But I also think what it's going to do is culminate. I don't know if you guys have ever been to or seen a play or a movie or a concert where it just kind of like builds, you know. I like to think of like the like DJ club scene where they're like build it and it's like and then they drop the beat. Yeah, no, never mind. But, uh, you know, there's some movies. All right, let's just go with some movies that maybe do that too. You know, just build something up. And at the very end, they just drop it, and, like, the whole crowd's just like, ah! go crazy. This is going to be that type of a, a series because it, everything's going to build uh, to Easter. It's going to build to Easter. And so this, this sermon series is going to culminate on that morning. And I can't tell you how excited I already am to get there. Like, I, I like, want to skip ahead, you know, like, just skip to the best part of the movie. You know, I just want to get to the, the tombs empty, and it's going to be amazing. Um, but we're going to slowly build. And why that's so cool is because I think for a long time, I, I do do that. I, I do do. I do do that, where I skip, I skip parts of the story that sometimes I get hooked on, or I get, I get kind of bored with, or maybe I thought I've already know, I knew everything, and so I, I kind of skip through that section or stop paying attention. And I don't want to do that with this. I, I really want us to take our time. And so why we're calling it the road to Emmaus is because in the end of Luke, chapter 24, uh, Jesus has, uh, guess what? He's come back from the dead, and uh, he's starting to appear to people. And this is one of those stories that some of you have never read it before. And I'm not going to spoil it completely today because I want to break it down more later. But you need to know this. In Luke 24, there's this story about two guys that are leaving Jerusalem where Jesus has just been killed. And they're walking back to their hometown, Emmaus. And it's a seven-mile journey. And they just happen to have some stranger walk up and overhear their conversation. And the stranger has no idea what has happened over the last three days. And these two guys are mind-blown because it has been all over Twitter. TMZ has covered every minute of it, all right? Fox News and CNN are biting at the bit. They are just telling the whole story, and this guy has no clue. And so they start breaking it down for him. And they just start to say everything that has happened from this Jesus from Nazareth guy. And they just tell about his whole story. Now, the average man in, in uh, you know, Israel at that time walks around three, three and a half uh, miles per hour. So if it's a seven-mile journey and they walked constantly. Okay, so this is not like a five-minute spit it out. This is a detailed story. Now, what's so cool about this is what you find out is at the very end, they are hanging out. The two men have spent so much time with this stranger that they invite him in for a meal. And they sit down to eat. And as soon as the stranger breaks the bread and says a prayer, these two guys' eyes are opened and they realize it's Jesus. They've just explained this story to. I don't know if you've ever had that panic moment where you're like, oh, hey, 
You've been there the whole time. <laughs> and then Jesus just disappears. And then these two go back and tell the 11 what they've seen and what they heard. This series is going to be a journey for us to say, what if, what if you and I were on that road? And we were trying to explain to someone in just a couple hours or maybe just a couple minutes, the life of Christ. Trying to explain what he did and how he did it. And the stories that, that need to be told and the importance of what needs to be known and, and why the significance of Easter and what has just happened. Because on that morning, their eyes were opened. And on that morning, our eyes again should be open to what has changed. Now, why in the world does it sometimes so difficult for us to think about how to tell the exact story we need to about Jesus? Have you ever thought about this? What's so hard? I mean, sometimes we can quote John 3.16 or whatever, but really what I want you to do is I want you to think about this. Not a single gospel account is in chronological order. Not a single gospel account is in chronological order. Did you know that? In fact, they have specific goals and styles, but not a chronological purpose. Not a single gospel account is in chronological order, and, and they have specific styles and goals, but they're, they're not a chronological purpose. Now, has that ever crossed your mind before? Now, some of you have read the four accounts of Jesus, and you've realized there's some discrepancies where like, a story is mentioned in like, chapter 2 in this book, and then it's mentioned in like, chapter 20 in the other. And you're like, okay... What do I do with that? And for some of you, that seems like a contradiction. Or you read that and you're like, wow, were they confused? Did they not know what they were doing? Like, uh, was this just like early, you know, like Neanderthal guys trying to put this together? In some ways, I would say, yes, they were fishermen, but no, they are just as smart as you and I, just a different time. So what's going on here? And, and I've explained this because we've walked through Luke and John at times, that these Gospels have specific, unique styles. And so I want to lay out this struggle by telling you the start of each Gospel and, and describing to you their purpose, and then telling you why this Road to Emmaus series is going to be helpful for you and I. Okay? So let's just walk through the Gospels real quick and explain why the chronological thing wasn't a big deal to them. Let's just, can I, can I do that real quick with you? Let's start with the Gospel of Mark because this is actually the one that was written for us. It's inviting uh, the Gentiles into the kingdom. This is us. This is the non-Jewish people. Non-Jewish background, didn't have a clue about any of the Old Testament stuff, aren't really included in that. We're just kind of invited in. Now, we've been a part of the plan when you read all nations, but we're now invited in through Jesus in a very specific, specific way. And so Mark's gospel is completely about that. And, and you see that because the first thing that he starts with is John the Baptist. He has, doesn't start with the virgin birth, doesn't start with the genealogy, doesn't start with anything that's specific to Jews. He just wants to get to the point. And in fact, the first thing that he quotes Jesus saying is this in chapter 1. This is the first thing that he quotes Jesus saying. After John was put in prison and Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. You get it very quickly. Listen, 
There's a guy, he came, he is of God, and he wants you to know this. There is a new regime, a new kingdom, a new place that is being created, and you need to turn from what you believe is right, and you need to believe the good news that Jesus has something new and fresh and real and full life in. And that's the message of the Gospel of Mark. And so he's not focused on chronological. He's focused on giving you the best nuggets of that he can. And he just lays them out, just spitfiring them. He's like, this story was amazing, and this story's amazing, and this story's amazing, and this one's so cool. And by the end of it, you just got all these nuggets that all point back to this concept of repent and believe. You're welcome to come in to the new kingdom. Really, really cool. He's not focused on chronological. It's not a part of what he's trying to do. His purpose is trying to get you and I into the kingdom. That's what he's trying to do. Now, the second one here, the Gospel of Matthew is the exact opposite of that. Okay, This is inviting the Jews into the kingdom. Now, now why this is important is if you've ever tried to read chapter 1 of Matthew. Has anybody ever tried to read chapter 1 of Matthew and you get about halfway through this list right here in Matthew 1? This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David. And the son of Abraham, Abraham the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez. And just keep going a little bit. How about a little more? Uh, Judah the father of Perez, Zariah, who's the mother of Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and the father of Ram. All right? Fourteen generations on either side of King David. There's 28 generations of names. Just, just, that's the start of the book. And you and I, we read that, and we're like, as the most boring thing ever. You just skip over it. You're like, I don't know what all that was, but let's get to the next part. But the Jewish people, oh man, this was like tying a chain from the covenant of Abraham in Genesis 11 through the fallen kingdoms of Babylon and the lost genealogies or the lost chains of history to prove that God's faithfulness had been unbroken through the kingdom of David, and now the resurrected kingdom that will be in Christ. And to those Jewish people that had the first five books of the Bible memorized, the Torah, they were completely blown away at the fulfillment that this was. All these prophets, all these things that had been said could not be unproven. And so this is like one of those amazing starts to a book if you're a Jewish person. So you're going to find Matthew... He's going to have Testament references. He's dealing with the Pharisees or the Jews that are not believing, and he's trying to prove that they're wrong. He's trying to show that Jesus does and is the completion and the fulfillment of the law, that he is bringing a new covenant. And it's just powerful. He's not concerned about chronological. He's not. He is much more consumed, get this, by his audience, who he's writing to, who it's for. Then you get to, to Luke's. And Luke is something that we just studied during Christmas, if you were here. And you may remember this, but it's eyewitness accounts to provide trustworthy evidence. That's what he's trying to do. He's just trying to pull these stories and these things, these claims, and he's trying to pull them in to give us clarity so that we can truly believe what we have heard. What we've taught. And his, his gospel starts out like this in chapter 1. You hear this. It's so cool. Many have taken a, uh, undertaken the, to draw up an account of the things that they have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those from whom the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. 
And then he says this about himself and what he's trying to do. With this in mind, I say myself, I carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, again, amazing guy, probably a Roman official. He wants to know. So the things that you have been taught, putting together the best group of evidence, all of the accounts that I have heard that you know about, I'm going to try to collect and then secure the eyewitness evidence. He is not concerned with chronological. He is concerned about the evidence to what he has heard and what he has been taught. That's important. He knows his audience. One more. John's. Inviting all to believe in Jesus is John's. If you have never come to faith in Christ and you know nothing beyond just a couple Sunday school lessons, please go and read the Gospel of John. It's amazing. In the Gospel of John, he, doesn't, he skips so many things in the Gospel of John. He has such a focus. He doesn't talk about communion. He doesn't talk about the virgin birth. He doesn't really talk about much of some of the, the traditions that we have in our church, church services. He more just hits on one key theme over and over and over and over and over again. Love and believe. Love and believe. Believe and love. Love and believe. Belief and love. And he just nails it over and over and over again. And he says in the very beginning that he, God himself, had a plan to rescue a dark world. And that he wanted everyone to discover what that mission was. And it says in John 1.1, if you ever started this book, it may seem a little cryptic, but it's amazingly beautiful poetry. In the beginning was the word. The word is Christ. He is the word of God. That is, that is the indwelling of God. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Think of it by God speaking and then Jesus coming down. He is the incarnation of that. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was a part of the plan from the very beginning, not an afterthought, from the very beginning. And you can put your trust in him. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. If you have experienced darkness, you have access now to light. He was not concerned about chronological. He was concerned, as he will say in chapter 21, to put together an account of Christ's life so that you would come to believe in the light and life of Christ. Now, why, when I explain all that to you, should that maybe make you feel worse or better? An understanding of how to communicate importance and trustworthiness. It's called chronological. <laughs> Do you guys realize that? How many of you guys have a, have a, a, like a five or to eight-year-old son or daughter? I mean, here, who has, that, who has that kid in their house? Don't, don't, are you sleeping? It's okay, I know you're tired. It's okay, come on back. Now, why I picked that child up is because if that aged child tries to tell you a story, it is a befuddled mess. Have you experienced this recently? Maybe you've just interacted with a five to eight-year-old. They'll come up to you and they'll say something like, I have to tell you something. Well, it was, it was, like, it was like last, it was, it was before, now, and then it was, I think it was 
last week, but we were playing, and there was a, there was a ball. Maybe it was earlier, but we, we had a ball, and there was a ball that I threw, and uh, they didn't catch it, but last time he did, and it was awesome, but this time he didn't, and it hit him in the nose, and then it was bleeding, but not this time because the teacher stopped it, but this time he caught it, and it was awesome, and by the end of it, you're just like, what are we talking about? <laughs> I don't get this. And like, I find myself with both my, my kids, especially my six-year-old, I'm like, start at the beginning again. <laughs> start at, like, we gotta, we're taught math this way. We're taught reading and writing this way. Our educational systems are brilliant in its way to take you from A, B to C. And that is amazing. The problem with that is that that's not the uh, culture that these people grew up in. <laughs> They didn't grow up in a, in a culture where the educational systems were built on making sure that kids got A, Bs, and Cs. They were built more on survival. They were built more on legacy and honor. They were built more on cultures that didn't have educational systems as a standard across the whole nation. It was family to family. And it was oral traditions way more than written. And so what they learned were whole stories with significance or family traditions passed down that were then lumped together and held together. And so why that changes the way that the Bible is written is because the significance is found in the whole, not in the chronological build. The significance is found in the molding of the poetry or, or the molding of the symbolism and the molding of the historical events that hold all of that together, regardless of the chronological order. And why Matthew's gospel at the very beginning has chronological order is because it has power, but then after that, he has no restraints to go off of that because he's already proven that it has significance in the genealogy. But then the story after that is a fulfillment at a barrage. And John, he'll lay it out for you that Jesus is worth following, but do it in a way that exposes your heart to it rather than being under the constraints of chronological order. Because the significance is seen when your eyes are open. Now why this is important for us to know is that maybe for you and I, we need to try to put this in chronological order for us to learn and grow. Maybe for some of us, this has been a reason that you haven't seen the way that the gospel really does flow together. And how all four of these gospels do a great job of telling one solid chronological story of the life of Christ. And so over the next eight weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk at three miles an hour, and we're going to look at eight big milestones that are going to tell the life of Christ. Now look, when you look this up online, it's going to have like 42 major milestones in the life of Christ, okay? We're not going 42 weeks, okay? So we're going to skip some stuff. But at the same time, there are some amazing resources out there for you to start your journey. I, I looked one up just before I got up here. Uh, there's one called uh, the NT Chronological Reading Plan for the Bible app. Now, I'm going to say that again if some of you are wanting to take this down. The New Testament NT Chronological Reading Plan. If you started that today and you read every day to, uh, to Easter, you would only be two days short of the resurrection to get through the entire four Gospels chronologically in that reading plan. 
That's really, really cool. You would literally read everything in those four Gospels. And it doesn't have every single chapter and verse. It just takes you through the accounts and the stories that are in the Gospels. And it literally chronologically walks you right up to Easter morning. The NT Chronological Reading Plan in the Bible app, Holy Bible app. It's completely free. Right? It's amazing. I was looking at it this morning going, holy cow, this thing's actually really, really good. Now, the other side of this is any of the resources online. ChristianStudyTools.com is amazing. It is so cool. It will, it will take you down the rabbit hole of lining this up for you. And why that's important is because your brain and my brain thinks chronologically. We want to see the story laid out front to back. And the reason why that might be important to you is because this pitter-patter of, of stories may have got you a little confused, may have been one of the reasons you've doubted from time to time, may have been something that you didn't even realize was holding you back from really understanding what's going on in the Gospels. And so my thought here is, what if we just want a little bit of a chronological journey? Each of us are studying, each of us are thinking about this, and then at the end, we arrive at the day of resurrection. And we don't have this moment of going like, there was a bunch of stuff that happened and then we're here. We have these footsteps, these things that we've done to help ourselves get to that place that when that event happens, we realize the significance. Wouldn't that be powerful? Road to Emmaus. So to end our time today, just have three simple questions for you. I say simple kind of flippantly. This is, they're not real simple, but they are. Are you the one who has not heard the full story on that road? Are you the one that You've been around church, you've, you've heard it explained a few times, you've gotten the shotgun approach, you may have heard a couple verses, you may have read a coffee, coffee mug or two, or a bumper sticker, but you've never fully heard the story. Are you that person? Maybe this is a series that you just need to pull in. You need to go, man, I need to buckle down. I need to actually pay attention. I'm going to read a little bit on my own. I'm going to do my own investigation. I'm going to come ready to take these eight steps leading up to Easter. Maybe you're this person. Are you the one who needs to share what you have learned and know? Are you the one that needs to be taking notes, watching, paying attention, studying, so that you're prepared when those questions come? Because guess what? Easter is one of the best times to invite a friend back that's walked away, that's heard rumors, heard some, some things that maybe have gone on in the Christian circles, but it's been since high school, it's been since the, their dad died, it's been since their mom died, it's been since the car wreck, it's been since the tragedy, the heartache, the success, and now all of a sudden they're in your living room and you're thinking, man, you need Jesus. Maybe you're the person that just walking down your daily life at three miles an hour, you need to share what you know and you've learned. And this is a series that's going to start helping you get some things that you could take somebody. And then Easter is the perfect time, maybe even before, to walk with them. And I wonder if all of us wouldn't find ourselves here. Or are you the one who desires for their eyes to be open and to see the truth? And maybe it's the truth that you've seen many times and you just want it to be fresh again that you believed in your heart and you know that Jesus is real, but as you study his word, I believe it is living and active. I believe it is not done speaking. 
that our perspective and his life even gets grittier giving and that it would open our eyes again and that maybe we would pray for the people around us to have the same. That those maybe that have walked with us for light and see the hope that is in Jesus. This is my prayer that each of us would have an answer for all of these. I think you and I need the full story again. I think it is living and active. I think you and I need to, to, to be ready to share what we have learned and know. What we have learned to know, not everything, what you have learned to know. And then you and I need to be ready because God is going to open our eyes again. I think he's going to do it again. Continually. Growth and challenge. So, make plans. Try to be here. If you can't be here, watch online. The next eight weeks, Road to Emmaus. The hope of a full life and full story walked through to Easter morning in the light of Christ.